Uh, welcome to RUF. My name is Simon Stokes, and if I haven't met you, I'd love to meet you at some point. I'm the RUF campus minister here. Um, I don't normally do this, but it's Black History Month, and I wanted to throw out some books to y'all in case you're interested in reading more about um, what it looks like for the church to engage in racial reconciliation, uh, social and economic and racial justice. Um, just some things I had lying around my office. Uh, here's one called Just Mercy by a guy named Brian Stevenson. Uh, I think this was the book that incoming freshmen at UNC had to read a few years ago, so some of you may have read it, but uh, it's about a lawyer. He's an African-American who uh, lives in my home state of Alabama, and he works um, with the prison system to help kind of re-examine crimes of people who've been committed to death row and try to try to help people get off death row and maybe commute their sentences. It's a really fascinating read that deals with race, economics, all kinds of stuff. Um, Reconciliation Blues by a guy named Ed- Edward Gilbreth. I think is how you say his last name, but it's, uh, he's a black evangelical, and he's uh, kind of writing a book that kind of talks about his experience within white evangelical Christianity as being a black man, which is really fascinating and gut-wrenching at times. Um, here's a collection of essays called Letters to a Birmingham Jail. Uh, it's a response to Martin Luther King Jr. and kind of uh, looking back on some of his legacy, but also kind of how far we have to go still. Guys like uh, John Piper, John Perkins, um, guy named Matt Chandler, who've all written kind of essays for that. It's very, very helpful stuff. If you're interested in reading those or borrowing them from me at some point, let me know. Um, but it is Black History Month, and we should celebrate that and think about what that means for us as well. Um, so enough of the book blurbs. Um, normally we were doing a sermon series in a book of the Bible. We haven't done that yet this semester. This is the last kind of one-off sermon that we're going to do. Um, we don't normally do, uh, do things that are seasonal. You have to kind of just celebrate the high holy days, Christmas, Easter, Valentine's Day. So it's kind of where we're at here. Uh, but yeah, this is an absolutely made up commercial holiday. Uh, but love, dating, marriage is something that you all think about a ton. And so I will shamelessly exploit that. Uh, to connect your longings for love to Jesus. So here we are. <laughs> but tonight we're in uh, the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 13. Uh, it's the famous kind of love passage. If you've ever been to a Christian wedding, you've probably heard this um, read aloud by a bridesmaid. So, <laughs> just my experience. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> this, is, uh, this is 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we do pray that you would come and show us your love tonight. 
Um, Lord, help us to understand what love is. Help us to move um, towards one another in love and help us to move towards you um, with your love. God, all of us are sinners who stand condemned before you. And yet, through your love and through the love of the cross, um, we can approach you and your throne with freedom and boldness. Help us to do that tonight. And help us to do that together. In your name we pray. Amen. Um, when it comes to love and dating, we put a lot of expectations on ourselves and the people around us. Like For your generation, for my money, anyway... I think Taylor Swift is probably the biggest mover and shaker in these expectations. Like, are you an early, innocent, longing Taylor? Listen to this. Marry me, Juliet. You'll never have to be alone. I'm not going to sing it. I love you, and that's all I really know. I talk to your dad. Go pick out a white dress. It's a love story. Baby, just say yes. Is that, is that where you sit with Taylor? Or are you the angry, bitter Taylor from 1989? We're not going to get into reputation. We're just going to stick it 1989. <laughs> Screaming, crying, perfect storms, I can make all the tables turn. Rose garden filled with thorns, keep you guessing like, oh my God, who is she? I get drunk on jealousy, but you'll come back each time you leave, because darling, I'm a nightmare dressed like a daydream. Which one are you? Like, (laughs) we all have our inner tailor, don't we? (laughs) Why do we long for love and feel so tortured by love at the same time? Like, well, Simon, like, I'm a pre-med, B-school nurse. I can't fall in love right now. I've got my future to think about. But, like, y'all, that's the whole point, right? Like, love is such a big deal to you that you can't do it because if you did, it would consume you and it would wreck your life. You couldn't do anything else but be in love. I remember uh, talking to a senior a few years ago. This is way before any of y'all got here. It's like my first year. And she wanted to talk about relationship advice. And so we sat out in the pit uh, at those tables next to where the coffee shop used to be last year. And she told me she'd been dating her boyfriend for like two years. Uh, she said, we want to get married. I so want to marry him. He's the one. But first, I need to travel to Europe for six months after I graduate. And he's going to take a year to study uh, for the MCAT. And he's going to get into med school. And then maybe at the end of his first year of med school, we're going to get engaged And then the year after that, we're going to get married. Like, if she were to actually commit to love, her whole life would be over, and she's got to get it all out right now. Right? It's this thing that we crave, but it will also consume us and wreck our lives, right? And we just have no idea what to do with that. Dating and love just feel like the most important thing in the world to you. We agonize over it. We dream about it. Some of us never talk about it because it's such a big deal. Some of us, it's all we can talk about. And it just kind of gushes out of it. But the main problem I think that we see with falling in love is that it kind of becomes this way for us to reach our personal life goals. And we don't see it as a way to become like Jesus or to care for the people around us. We don't really understand what love is or how to love well. And so we get into matters of love, things just kind of go sideways. And we just have no idea of where to begin in this stuff. So tonight, I really want to talk about three things. I want to talk about the necessity of love. I want to talk about the nature of love. And I want to talk about the person of love. The necessity, the nature, and the person of love. I just couldn't get three ends with that. I'm sorry. The alliteration. I'm broken. Uh, So what? The necessity of love. I want to suggest the following definition of love for you tonight. That love is the ability 
to give yourself to another person regardless of their circumstances or their stance towards you. That love is the ability to give yourself to another person regardless of their circumstances or of their stance towards you. Which means it's really, really, really risky. In our TED Talk on love, Mandy Lynn Catron says that to love another person is to choose to be vulnerable. And I think she's right. Because to put yourself out there for a real person, not like an imaginary kind of saint who's also like a supermodel, but the flesh and blood person in front of you is one of the scariest parts of relationships. Like, what if they hurt me? What if they can't carry the weight of all my longings on their shoulders? What if love gets in the way of me doing the stuff that I want to do? Like, some of you feel caught in these questions, but part of why we long so much for love in them is that we think of it as kind of this mark of maturity. Like, I need to answer these questions before I can be a complete person. And that is both right and wrong. Because being able to love another person really is the mark of maturity. But you don't have to be dating someone or married to someone to love another person. I mean, you're surrounded by people here that you could love. And so you don't have to date to be mature. I mean, you could be single the rest of your life and be a mature person who's actually able to love other people. But at this time of your life, love and dating just feel like everything. It can feel like it's the meaning behind everything. Like, if I can talk well and charm people, but I don't have love, I am nothing. If I'm smart and a big deal on campus, but I'm not going on dates, I have nothing. If I'm sold out for Jesus, but I'm single, then I gain nothing. I think that a big part of our problem with love is that it starts from a place where it's everything, and it's about us. Like, here's my soapbox for tonight. Most of you don't need me to tell you that you should date someone with the same worldview, who's your friend, that you're like attracted to. Like Those are things you're already kind of thinking about. But the thing I think that holds most of us back is our starting point for love is just totally off. Like, is this person going to make me look good? Will they always satisfy me and help me meet my life goals? It's why some of you date for years and years and think, well, maybe after grad school. But, you know, you actually could get married in college. Like, people do that sometimes. Especially if you know you want to get married, you talk to this other person about getting married, you're bumping up against the reality of pressuring one another into physical things, like sex that you never thought about doing, but like here you are on the threshold of that. That you could actually get married in college and deal with those things, and it would not destroy your life. But the search for a perfect person who's always fun and safe and who always makes us look good and who's never going to hurt us is really the search for love on our own terms, which isn't really loving. Because here's what's going to happen for some of us. We're going to find somebody that looks like they check all the boxes. They're going to look like they're perfect, and in a lot of ways, they really might be great. And then we'll start to date them, and we'll wonder why things aren't working out. Like, here's this great person. I'm a great person. I don't understand why he fights so much. Or I don't feel completely fulfilled by them. And from the fact that, you know, just the fact that you're in a close relationship with someone that's another sinner means that you've doubled up on the amount of glory in your life, but also the amount of, you know, sin in your life. Like, that's part of it. But the part of the reason why it's so hard to date this other person, too, and you'll, you'll find this out, is it's hard because love is about us. And we make it about us. But love is really about the other person. It's why our criteria for dating is so high, Right? Like, we want this charming astronaut underwear model who is rescuing endangered animals, and they're really fun, 
and they love taking on our emotional baggage, and they're super sold out for Jesus or some other cause, right? (laughs) But they should not demand anything of me or try to change me. Like, we're searching for this ideal person who's perfectly happy, who's perfectly holy, who totally gets me and understands me and is, like, awesome. But, like, we don't want them to mess with us. That needs to be them, but when we look for this other person we don't find them, we kind of roll our eyes and think, this is never going to happen for me. And of course it's not if those are our standards. Like, who is good enough to meet your criteria? Like, I'm not good enough to meet my own criteria if that's what it is. And as Christians, I don't, and I don't assume that everybody here is a Christian, but generally, if you're here at RUF, I'm assuming that most of us are Christians, but as a room full of majority Christians, I would say, we should push harder on those things than anybody else. Like, we should be able to look at relationships and say, I can't fulfill you. I don't want you to totally fulfill me in these ways. But I think that for all of our flaws together, that this can really go someplace. Could we do that together? I don't know. Let's try. Like, we should be able to say that. Because I think, just by looking in the scriptures, we should have a good take on what love is. So, this takes us into, what is the nature of love? Look at verses 4 through 8. Love is patient and kind. Love doesn't envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. At some point, many of you in this room will start to date someone. It may not be tomorrow or while you're at Carolina, but it'll happen for you. Oh, but, but Simon, wait, what if I've been given the gift of singleness? Shh, shush, we're going to table that. Just focus on this part for tonight. <laughs> Many of us in this room are going to get married at some point. And how that will happen is that either you'll ask someone out or they'll ask you out. You'll go on some dates, you'll hold hands, you and your friends will stay up late and dish about how things are going. And things will get serious. And you'll start to talk about major life plans together. And you'll look up schools with maybe the same grad programs. And start imagining what uh, doing holidays with this other person's family would look like. And you're going to get engaged. And you're going to try not to resent your future in-laws. But you probably will. And there'll be a ceremony. And a minister. And pictures. (laughs) And a honeymoon. And ah, you're finally going to be married. And you'll start to settle into things. And you're going to sleep in the same bed with this person every night. You're going to merge your bank accounts. So you'll have like twice as much little money as you did before. (laughs) And you'll just generally be doing life together. And you'll start to find that previously this person that you couldn't keep your hands off of is sometimes not as irresistible as they used to be. And they spend their money differently than you do. And you can't use your money the same way that you used to. And they're going to cross your will, and you're going to cross their will, and you will fight more with this person than you've ever fought with anyone. And that is going to happen in the first three months. And for some of you, there's going to be this sinking feeling that's going to come into your head, which you may not give a voice to, but you may actually do that. And it'll sound something like this. Like, did I make a mistake? I don't feel as happy being married to this person as I expected that I would. And some of you will start to wonder, can I get out of this? And you heard it from me first. Do not listen to that stupid voice. Don't listen to it. Because to follow that thought is to miss out on the real love that God has intended for you. Because all the dating, all the engagement stuff, 
all the like the butterflies in your stomach and the staying up late, that's all the precursor to the real love. Because you see, a real love relationship isn't defined by how a couple feels towards one another or how attracted they are to each other, but by what you're willing to give up for this other person for their good. Love is patient. Love is kind. It's not self-serving. It doesn't keep a record of wrongs. When the Bible talks about love, it talks about how much you're, not how much you're willing to receive from this person. It talks about how much you're willing to give for this person. And how much you're willing to give to lay down your life for that person. For some of you who are seriously dating, the question you should ask yourself is, is how much would I be willing to lose for the sake of this person? How much freedom would I give up for them? How much time, emotion, generally resources would I invest in this person for their good? And for that, being married and having that marriage vow isn't just helpful, it is the real test of enduring relationship. Because when you say that you love someone, do you realize what you're saying? You're saying, I will always strive to be patient towards you. I will believe you when you tell me that I'm being selfish. I will not celebrate your secret pet sins, but I will help you root them out. And I will let you do that for me. Like, that's what you're saying when you love, say that you love somebody. And it's precisely because of this that we can't treat love as this thing that's totally driven by what we feel. That for love to be love, it needs to be this framework of binding obligation to make it really what it should be. For it to be a lasting relationship, it has to be what's called a covenant. Which is a relationship between a man and a woman that have bound one another, bound themselves to one another for their good. It is intimate, even though it's legal. It's, and it's a relationship that's even more intimate because it is legal. Think about this when you're dating someone. Or even let me reiterate how bad of an idea this is if you're considering living just with someone. In that sort of relationship, there are no guarantees. Like, you've got to prove yourself all the time every day that the chemistry is still there, the romance is still there, you're still funny, you're still impressing, you're still enticing. You're basically living in this consumer relationship, and that means constant promotion and marketing. But the legal bond of marriage means that you're off the market, which means the ad campaign gets to end. And this creates for us this kind of safe security where you can really open up and you can reveal your true self. That you can be vulnerable and not have to keep up facades. You don't have to keep selling yourself. That you can lay that last layer of your defenses down and just be completely naked, both emotionally and physically. That we can be honest about our past. This blending of law and love fits our deepest instincts, doesn't it? Because you know on some level that if it's not permanent, that it's not really love. Real love desires permanence. It needs it. And you will know that you have a serious relationship when you start to give up things for one another. Then instead of asking yourself, what are they giving me? You start to ask yourself, what do I need to give to them? That when you fall in love, you think that you know this other person. But you don't really. The only way for you to really be free in a relationship is to link your feelings to this obligation. Otherwise, you're always ruled by feelings and circumstances, aren't you? I know that some of you are thinking like, well, man, this sounds like I'm losing a lot of freedom to love another person. No, no, no. This is the way to real freedom. Only if you commit yourself to love in action, day in and day out, even when the feelings and the circumstances change, 
Only if you do that can you truly be a free individual who's not beholden to what's going on outside of you or inside of you. Like, that's the way to freedom in this. Also, if you maintain your love for someone when it's not thrilling, like, that's the way to say that you really love that person. I mean, ask yourself, do you love the feelings that person gives you, or do you love them? Like, do you love their goofiness, their messiness? They're good and they're bad. Because the proof of love is whether or not you still have this abiding concern and care for this other person, even if it's at great personal cost when things are gone, like the feelings. Like you're just not going to feel things all the time. And only a covenant marriage can provide you with that. And that brings me to my last point, which is this, is that love is a person. Love is a person. Y'all, this is such a beautiful passage, isn't it? Like, I love this passage. I read it all the time. Have you ever thought why this passage is so beautiful? Like, why does this sound like so perfect for weddings? I mean, who does this sound like? Who is always patient and kind? Who doesn't envy or boast, even though they're awesome? Who bears all things, hopes all things, endures all things forever? Only God does. Like, where do you think Paul got this stuff? It's not like he said, you know, I dated somebody once. Let me reflect for a minute on what that experience was like. (laughs) He looked at God, he said, this is what love is like. We all want this love, don't we? We all long for it. Some of us are deeply lonely and we, long, we, we hit days like Valentine's Day and it only makes us more aware of how lonely we feel. Like if I just had someone who loved me, I wouldn't be so lonely. Like if you're a Christian, don't you already have that person? And y'all, there's a type of loneliness that no marriage and no relationship can fix. What we tend to do is to ask too much of potential people. Like, I need you to love me unconditionally, which is something I can't do for myself. Uh, I need you to give me this sense of wholeness, meaning, worth. And when I see you, I want this kind of transcendent connection that lifts me into the heavens. Like, we're asking that of people that, like, they just can't provide that. No, it's not wrong for us to long to be married. But now we find out why marriage feels like the meaning of life. I mean, I see this sometimes when I do weddings and I look into your eyes. Like the joy, the wonder, the excitement, of course that's there. But for some of you, there's something more. It's like the sense of like, it's finally happened. All my problems, they're about to fade away. But hear me when I say this. That first you've got to be married to the right person. And then you can get married to another sinner. That this is the heart of all of our relational struggles. Think of it like this. That you and I are unable to date God. There's no such thing as a casual relationship with a God who says that the essence of salvation is for us to bind ourselves together. And whatever you have, I'm going to have. Whatever I have, you're going to have. Like, God cannot be this helpful appendage to your life. It doesn't work. We have to come in with 100% of who we are. And that means he's going to take all of you and he's going to transform you through his love. And you're going to take all of him and you're going to be transformed by him. Like, save yourself the spiritual heartache and establish in your heart now that this is the only one that I can follow. Like, this is the person I'm going to be married to before I can be married to anybody else. Secondly, because the gospel does provide this vulnerable but fixed relationship with God, it really does free you up to be vulnerable with other people. To let you look into my life and see the things I'm absolutely insecure about. I need to have known that a God who is holy and sees my crap could look at my heart and say, I love you. And then I can let you do that. 
Like, we need the gospel to do this. This is at the heart of it all. When you get married to a person, that person is granted total access to you. You are not your own anymore. Like, you need a God who has that access too right now. The gospel comes alongside of you and says that no human being can bear the weight of all of our desires. The only one that can bear that weight is Jesus. Like, do you see what that means here? Like, he is the person you've got to be married to before you can be married to anybody else. Before he was crucified, when Jesus went into the garden at Gethsemane, he's on his knees praying to God and he says, Is there any other way? Is there any other way for this to happen? Any other path for relationship? And God says no. Like, you're either going to die for these people or there is no salvation. Look, y'all, one day, most of you are going to be married. Will you just remember this one thing? You're going to have to die for that person. There's going to come a time when you're going to look across at that person that's going to be your lover or even your friend. They're going to be your enemy. And you're going to need to know that God has died for you before you can die for that enemy. Like, you're going to need to know that he loves you and you're secure in that love before you can love this other sinner. To have that love and to give that love to someone else means that you need to know that that love is a person. And that person has already given themselves to you on the cross. Because God looks at his people, like people who betrayed him as his enemies, who, spiritually speaking, are prostitutes, who are slaves to sin. He says, I don't want you to be a slave. I want to marry you. I want us to be together. And so he goes to the cross, and he stays there. Not because you and I are lovely, but he stays there to make us lovely and to buy us back from ourselves and into a beautiful marriage. And from that is where we can place our transcendent longings and our desires for the people around us. So I want to end with this. I've done a few weddings in this job, just a few. And one of my first ones was I went to... Uh, it was in Western Carolina, and we went to this really beautiful house in the mountains. Uh, gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous old place with like a garden and a super cool library, and just awesome. I know I'm I'm a book guy, I'm a total nerd. Library, <laughs> but like, <laughs> but I remember everything was ready. It was like t minus ten minutes until we were going to be up there in front of the altar with the bride, and I'm sitting there with the groom who I've known, and I love this guy, I love his bride, we're tight. And he's sitting in the library, and he's looking at me, and he's just weeping. Like, he's crying. And I look at him, and I'm like, why are you crying? He's like, man, I just, I feel torn in all these ways. Like, I love her so much, and yet, and yet. And what I think he was getting at was he was seeing all these doors to, like, other potential happiness being closed. And he was about to step through this door, and he was about to marry this person. And he said, what's happening to me? What is this? And I put my arm around him and said, friend, this is living. Like to close the doors and all those other potential happinesses and to step through for this other person, that's real love. Like that's real romance. And he nodded and he wiped the tears from his eyes and he got up and he married that woman. And it was his joy. Y'all, we will really only understand that when we understand that God has done the same thing for us in Jesus. That Jesus 
came to be a person and he closed the doors on all these other potential happinesses. And he wept to marry you. And it was his joy. He loves that. He doesn't regret that at all. It's his joy. And when you understand what that love is, that's when you start to love another person. Or be secure not being in a relationship. Because you know that you're already in a better relationship. Because that's really what love is. So let's not love in word and talk, but in deed and truth. That's my invitation to you tonight. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, you are so good to us, to love us, um, really and truly. Seeing us, knowing us, knowing our sin and our brokenness and all the things that we're not going to give you. And yet, stooping down and becoming a human being and dying on a cross so that we could be in a relationship with you and be married to you and be loved by you. Lord, help us to root ourselves in that. Lord, if there's someone here who doesn't know that or doesn't understand that, help them to ask you to change their hearts so that they would know that and would be transformed by your love. But God, in all these things, please change us through your love. And let us know that love in you and in the person and the work of your son, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Yeah,